10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Suffolk, this is The Late Show with Libby Isaac. Good evening. That's right, it's another Tuesday evening. It's the 12th of October. Believe it or not, it's my 10th show. Tonight, I've got the Essential Letters and Sounds authors Tara Dodson and Katie Press, followed by the notorious children's author Wendy Orr. Settle in for a phonics and reading special. Live from Suffolk. This is The Late Show with Libby Isaac on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining live, or if you're on your way to join live, thank you so much for listening tonight. So I definitely had one of those afternoons where I feel like I'm living with a poltergeist, so little shoes and cleaning products left everywhere. Um, I think if you know, you know. It was a rainy afternoon here in Suffolk, so I decided to bring the slide into the house, um, which actually worked out really well. Um, until I had to sneak the slide out of the house. Um, now, my husband texted me whilst he was at work today saying, yes, let's keep the slide all winter inside the house. Absolutely not. That is an outdoor toy. So if anyone has ever tried to sneak a slide out of the house, it's hard because um, they're large and really quite awkward. But I did it and that was my afternoon. So good evening. And as I mentioned in my introduction, I have got Tara Dodson and Katie Press, who are the authors of the Essential Letters and Sounds program. And following that, we have got Wendy Orb, who is a children's author, and she is going to be ringing in live because she lives in Australia, so it'll be 7am for her. And she wrote wonderful books like Nims Island, etc. Now, back in September, I had the wonderful and inspiring Ruth Everett on the show, where we discussed everybody reading out loud at secondary school and how important that is. And she highlighted the research behind why teachers need to read out loud. So she used the Education and Endowment Foundation, where it stated that it has the highest impact at the lowest cost. Um, she also mentioned how important it is for disadvantaged students, how it's our role for teachers to model it, um, and how we spoke about how it feels for a secondary school student, how they code switch from lesson to lesson, how hard this is for them, especially if they've got five to six periods a day and it becomes a complete metacognitive overload for them. Um, she highlighted Alex Quigley's research um, with SEEK and how teachers need to spend more time consolidating their language. Um, and actually, 95% of texts within a secondary school um, are non-fiction. And that is because they are predominantly nouns. Um, students who are not fluent in reading cannot access these texts. And 
they are failing subjects like maths and science because they cannot read the questions. Um, Ruth also gave us examples as teachers on how to read using the Rubinsky's um, Rubik from again from the EEF. And she says you have to read with intonation, with pace, with clarity. Bearing all of this in mind, tonight's show, we're going back to the foundations of all of this. As we know, there is six years, in fact, seven if you count preschool, of education before a student even comes to secondary school. So tonight we are discussing phonics and we're going to do this through Katie and Tara, who I love how organised you are because you are on the line already. I've just muted you, so I'm just going to do my thing and I'll tell you when I'm going to bring you in. So you can relax now. Um, and Tara and Katie are both full-time primary school teachers. What a wonderful, wonderful job they do. They've also developed this programme. And this programme is called the Essential Letters and Sounds programme in association with the Oxford University Press. Um, it's rigorous, it's engaging, it supports teachers um, to assure that the lowest attaining children can keep up rather than catch up. Now, that is an incredibly important element. Um, so it's not, you know, we, we can't forget that children don't have the backgrounds that we probably had growing up as teachers. Um, you've got a huge amount of disadvantaged students in front of you. In fact, I work in um, a variety of schools and one of those schools has 50% pupil premium. And I think we forget that sometimes. We shouldn't, but I think we do. And this is why programmes like this are so essential. Um, so Katie and Tara, they'll introduce themselves, but they've worked with the Department for Education's English Hubs and developed a way of teaching letters and sounds to ensure that all children are learning to read well and make speedy progress. The programme has been developed over the last 18 months, which I'm sure they'll tell you, and their main aim is that every child will learn to read and love to read. So if I go back to my quote with Dr. Zeus, it's actually on the wall in my playroom where I do the show. So cool. Um, you can find magic wherever you look, sit back and relax. All you need is a book. So this is so important. If we can capture the curiosity of words, reading and create a fluency in primary school, imagine what we can do at a secondary school. So we need to align our literacy programmes, I think we do anyway, I think primary school and secondary school teachers need to know about a phonics programme. I think if we had a better understanding about it, the transition from primary to secondary, from preschool to reception would be so much easier for everybody. Um, Lucy Nuremberg is primary school teacher and um, a TT host she's on the show before mine and she actually mentioned at the end of her show that even though she's a primary school teacher and she obviously teaches um the higher years so i can imagine um grade four five six um she doesn't know enough about phonics so i think we need to get the message out there more because we need to ensure that our children can become fluent readers now what i'm going to do is i'm going to read the news and after we've done the news, I'm just going to talk a little bit more about this programme before bringing Katie and Tara into the conversation. 
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools are being told to stockpile dry and tinned foods in the event of an ongoing shortage. Food supply company ISS have issued the warning following the continued lack of HGV drivers in the UK. It is thought supply chain issues could last until February, with school kitchens being asked to have a two-week backup supply of non-perishable food products as a contingency plan. Education unions are pushing for the reinstatement of mask policies across schools. The latest statistics show that 1 in 15 children in school years 7 to 11 are estimated to have had COVID in the last seven days the highest rate of positivity for any age group. Unions feel this leaves secondary schools particularly vulnerable. No action has been taken, but the new education secretary did not rule out the return to masks in classrooms. At a conference this week, Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi said there were not enough blackhead teachers working in English schools. He said he thinks it is critical that teaching is an inclusive profession where leadership teams reflect their communities. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Excellent. Thank you, Megan, for the news there. Um, So obviously we're talking phonics this evening. We're talking reading. We're talking about the fluency and what we can do as classroom teachers to promote this because it's such an important and actually I'm incredibly passionate about it. Um, This is a quote um, from a deputy head teacher who uses the Essential Letters and Learning programme. So she says the consistency in the lessons with the repetition and practice, have contributed to our highest phonics screen ever, with 96% passing. However, the biggest success has been listening to the children's enthusiasm and seeing the high engagement with their phonics lessons and subsequently with their reading. Now, that's the point, isn't it? Um, Andrew Farmer has just texted into the show and he's just said, I'm a grade five, UK year six, thanks, um, teacher who has also taught year one. After nine years of primary teaching overall, I'm more convinced than ever that quality phonics teaching is an essential part of teaching, reading and writing throughout primary school. I now have an infant phonics chart on my wall of my class, especially for helping with spelling. Thank you so much, Andrew. That's exactly what, what we're here to talk about this evening. And um, you know, I'm, I'm secondary school trained, but I've done a, a huge amount of research around phonics, um, predominantly for this show, but also because I'm really interested in you know building up this everybody should be reading promotion for, for children. And that, that goes back 
right to phonics, if I'm honest. Um, and absolutely, scientific studies have repeatedly found that explicit systematic phonics instruction is the most effective way to teach children how to read. And without it, some reading or oh, some children will have serious difficulty. So, Andrew, you are exactly point on there with what the research is saying as well. So thank you so much for texting in. Um, I massively believe that children should be absorbed in books um, and this should happen from an incredibly early age as much as possible. Um, there's a reason why I take my one-year-old singing at the library every single Monday um, and apart from the fact I'm a wonderful singer and so is he um, but it's in a library and at that library, the local primary school comes up on a Monday as well, year by year with their library cards to get their books out. And the simplicity of a book for a child is just wonderful. My daughter who is free, if you give her a book, it is the best present at the moment. You know, I spoke about it before, how important it is to read to children before bed if you're lucky enough to have that. And doing that in the classroom is so important as well. And we spoke about how that's important in a secondary section too. So this phonics program is something to learn from. And essentially, we want all of our children to read. We want them to become fluent readers. We want them to be um, introduced to high quality texts that perhaps they're not getting the chance to be introduced to at home. So phonics instruction, if you don't know, um, teaches children how to decode letters into their sounds and to them to the words by themselves. So having letter sounds knowledge allows children to make the link between the unfamiliar print words support with your phonics teaching. Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics.
Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the MALCPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Every teacher loves stationery, right? Imagine getting a selection of fun, beautiful and unique stationery items designed and selected especially for teachers delivered through your door every month. You need to check out teacherslovestationery.club. I'm always so excited when the box arrives. It's such a treat. My Teachers Love Stationery Club box is just a little treat to myself every month. It's always full of delightful and surprising items, including some really good quality stationery brands. And because you never know what you're going to get, it makes it even more fun and special when you get it. Visit teacherslovestationery.club and enter the code TTRADIO when you buy your first stationery box to save £2 today. Teacherslovestationery.club Okay, thank you for that. Um, hopefully the sound is, is working a little bit clearer now, but if anybody can give me a bit of a thumbs up, thank you so much. Um, I think because I get a bit passionate, I was going in and out of the computer and acting out my, uh, my conversation, so to speak. So let make sure I stay still and that should be fine. So on the line, I have got Tara and Katie. I'm just going to bring you both into the conversation. Hello, Tara. Hello, Katie. Hi. Hi. Hello. Oh, brilliant. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Fantastic. I can hear you both as well. And thank you so much um, for joining us this evening. You're very welcome. Thank you for having us. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having us. It's really exciting to be here and to be talking about um, phonics and early reading. So thank you. Yes, I agree. Uh, hopefully you heard my dipping in and out introduction there as well. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you some questions and you're going to alternate answer you, who, um, who's going to answer the questions. Um, and we're just going to run through and hopefully um, this then sort of creates a trigger in a conversation because we've got a lot of people listening today who are also very interested in phonics. So the first thing I'd like to ask, and if we start with Tara, can you introduce um, who you are, um, your background and what you do now? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Tara. I'm the author with Katie for Essential Letters and Sounds. Um, uh, this is my 11th year in primary. Um, and I also work as the hub lead for one of the DfE English hubs. Brilliant. Katie? Hi. Um, yeah, so my name's Katie and I have um, worked with the Knowledge Schools Trust since 2013 when the schools first opened within the trust. Um, and I have been a class teacher from reception all the way up to year six. And um, through that time, I've also been the phonics lead, reading lead and then English lead for the school. And then now the schools across the trust. Um, and with Tara, I've been part of the um, English hub team that we have um, at one of our schools in the trust and now um, yeah one of the authors for Essential Lesson Sounds so yeah it's very exciting. Ah oh, fantastic so I did a little bit about what phonics is could one of you please explain to the listeners because we might have some ECTs here um, or you might have primary school teachers or secondary school teachers who don't know enough about it can you just explain briefly what phonics is? Katie do you want to go? 
Of course. So phonics is, I'm sorry, thank you. Phonics um, is the teaching, um, the, the initial teaching um, for children that are learning to read. So it's that, that um, we're, we're giving the children the, the code and the knowledge to be able to uh, read um, words and to, um, to learn all those different sounds and the codes that we need to be able to read the words within the English language. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, Tara, can you tell us about how the programme was developed? Like, where was the idea? How, how did you get to this point? So the work of the English Hubs, um, we give out funding to schools and CPD and support to schools on a, a, a school level and then wider levels as well. And it began when we started to support some letters and sound schools. Um, and Katie was going into those schools and she was noticing that in supporting them, that there was different practice school to school in terms of how people had interpreted the guidance for letters and sounds. But then she was finding different practice classroom to classroom, year group to year group and teacher to teacher. And so what begun, what the very beginning of essential letters and sounds was um, Katie developed some really easy to follow lesson plans for the teachers in these schools and then followed that up with creating some whiteboards for those teachers to use um, to give consistency and practice within schools to make sure that teachers were using the same vocabulary and language when they were talking about phonics and early reading and making sure that the activities that children were doing actually were pinned on the GPC knowledge that the children were being taught in each lesson. So the actual sound spelling correspondences that they were learning and that they were actually going to apply that understanding in an activity that uh, asked them to use that knowledge independently. And from there, then we acquired a school into our trust that, um, t- that taught letters and sounds. And then it kind of ramped up really quite quickly uh, in that we then developed this into a complete um, SSP. Um, and then validation, uh, the DFE put out some information in January about if if people had developed programs that they thought they might like to get validated and Katie and I sort of joked about it on and off for a few months and then we had a very interesting exciting mm-hmm. rather random phone call with OUP in the Easter holidays and it literally we just we, we went for it and so yeah that was it we we got it all published and it's all been validated by the DFE and so it's been a, a very busy last sort of five months for Katie yeah. and I. I can imagine. And I can just imagine how how good that must feel as well. When when you can see something and the positive impact it's making in front of you, to be able to to get that out so that other other primary school teachers can can make an impact with that as well. That's that's a really well, it must feel really good. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was, you know, that was such an ex- it's been such an exciting time for both Tara and I. And I think as Tara said, this did start a while ago with when I was going to schools to support them for um letters and sounds and we found that as Tara said that there was quite there was lots of practice going on but often very inconsistent and then with us being able to put in quite a consistent structure we could just see the impact it was having for the children but then also for the staff and then in developing essential lesson sounds into a full SSP and into a, a full program we could we were just seeing very very quickly the impact it was having in the schools um, that we're using it on the pilot and then and then, and now um, so for us it's been so wonderful to meet teachers um, across the country who um, either were on the pilot or who have recently um, started with essential lesson sounds and so for us it's been yeah amazing to see the impact that it's had for both staff and children and you both work full time in the classroom as well we're not actually in the classroom full time anymore. This is oh, that's nice. fine. Yeah, 
for our sins no this is my first this is my first year out of class and I think Katie it's your second year isn't it my third third yeah so all I'm saying is that you're very busy so it's uh it's it's a good (laughs) yes time of year um so um Katie if we can do this question for you and obviously Tara if you want to add anything in that's great but I think that would probably work otherwise we'll end up speaking over each other so um Katie what are the three top benefits for schools who are interested in essential letters and sounds so um great question there there are so many positives we think um for schools that follow essential lesson sounds but the def- the top 3 um would be that with essential lesson sounds you know you're getting a full ssp so you're getting a really high quality um phonics program for your school as tara said it's been both validated and it's mm-hmm. also published by university press um and with that as a full ssp you're getting everything you need and the most I would we would always say the most important to ensure that there's fidelity to program there is training for all members of staff to engage with but then there is also specific training for the reading leads or phonics leads within the school to ensure that best practice is happening all the time as well as um sessions where we would look at what we would discuss like data and how we use assessment data to inform practice and how we to ensure that every single child keeps up with the program rather than having to catch up so training is definitely number one within the full ssp number two is that we have made it as simple as possible um for teachers to follow so there's this really consistent structure to the lessons there's lots of consistent um practice within the resources and language that the children are using and then um the third thing, which we've been so mindful of, was we wanted to make this make sure this program was a program that school all schools could access, and things like budgets shouldn't be a a barrier. And so we try to no. think about carefully about the resources that we have put in the program, but then thinking about what we know schools already have. So, for example, all of because we have um, maintained the um, the original lesson sounds two thousand and seven progression, the decodable books that we know schools have got they will work with the program. It's just about making sure they're in the right place before we send them home. But they are, you know, schools are able to use what they already have. So they're the top three, full SSP, including training, um, consistent structure, which is really then simple to follow. And then um, the use of decodable books and other resources that the school might have already. Um, Fantastic. Um, Tom's just texted in. um, So if one of you could answer this, how did you both become, and actually this is one of my questions, Tom, too, so well done on the same mind here. How did you both become passionate about phonics? What's your backstory with it? Sorry, go. (laughs) I'll I'll go first, shall I? (laughs) Um, Let's see. So I, uh, I came to teaching a few years after I'd intended to become a teacher, I got a bit sidetracked. Um, We're the best ones, Tara. (laughs) We're the best ones. Good. Uh, I worked in fashion for a bit and then woke up one day and was like, hang on a second, I was supposed to be a teacher. What am I doing? Absolutely. Um, I started in year five. In my first two years, I taught in year five and six. And I honestly struggled because I didn't really know how best to support those children that were still not reading well. Mm. and it really, st- I mean, it really began from there. Um, first of all, I fell in, I, I'd always thought I would be a math, that maths would be the area that I would specialise in, which will make Katie actually laugh that I've said that out loud because my maths is atrocious. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, that was, I had always gone into it thinking that maths would be my thing. And then I just fell in love with teaching English. And from there, then I fell in love with teaching reading. And when you got children especially those children that were coming to it a bit later on because I was I started up a key stage two 
when you got those children to read and they really began to love reading, mm. it was unlike anything. It was like I'd given them a key to the whole of the rest of the world. And that was what it was for me that really got me. And then it, that was it. I, I was hooked. And so then as I worked throughout other key stages as well, that ability, the ability to share something with somebody that then gives them the key to everything else it's like you open the curriculum for them because then they can access it independently and they can read and they can fall in love with literature and oh my god what a gift to give and so that's really for me where it started um was with those children that I had in that first ever year five class where I spent half of my year going I don't understand why you can't read to then turning that into helping them gain those skills that they needed and teaching them the code that they were missing so that they could read so that's absolutely and I've, I've written that I've written that quote down actually um so it's like giving them a key for the rest of the world and I think that that's that's completely correct and that's that's what I was talking about when I did the secondary I suppose version of this um with Ruth Everett that they need to access that curriculum and once they've accessed that curriculum and that the world is their oyster that this is this is the, the point to it isn't it they can't access it unless they understand right from the beginning how to read fluently so andrew has just um, added in completely agree about where the passion for phonics comes from if i can add my tuppence my passion for phonics has grown as a result of seeing how well it works not just with the kids i've taught but my own too um absolutely andrew completely agree with that um, so what about your passion as well there? Um, so my story um, is slightly different in terms of how I yep. came um, to, to being so passionate about phonics um, and the teaching of reading. Um, but exactly the same as Tara, that where well, everything Tara just said in terms of we want to give children this gift of reading, that's always been yep. such a huge thing for me. Um, my story starts way back when my I have a younger brother. He's six years younger than me. And when he was little, he had speech and language um difficulties and he went to a specialist um, school called mm -hmm. ICANN and I used to support him because um, I was six years older with his um, learning his language and his reading at home so I, I knew at that point that I wanted to do something that might involve helping others um, but at the time I didn't know what that was and actually for most of my um, childhood I did dance and I then went on to do that um, at degree as well as well as doing a combined honours with English language and linguistics and it was part of my English language and English language degree that I did a year and a half on phonetics and phonology and that's where I think that um, spark ignited again around wanting to do something that involved this the sounds that we the speech sounds that we make and how we use them and how it's such a huge tool such a thing that we use every single day we use we use speech and then we're you know we're inquiring language and we're using it and so um it was at that point that I realized I wanted to do something with it and I had some options I could have gone into something like speech and language therapy but I decided I wanted to have impact with more with more people and at this point I was thinking definitely with children again because we wanted to give them this gift so early on and um so yeah, I did that. And then I worked in various, well, I volunteered in various different settings. And then as I say, I started my career with the Knowledge Schools Trust um, in reception. So I was there, I was teaching phonics and I was also phonics lead in my NQT year. Um, and then through there, I just continued to develop my practice and working with others. And then as working with the English Hub, we then got to visit other schools. So for me, it's just been such a huge part of my life and I'm so I'm so proud of what we've been able to achieve here and I think we've seen the impact that it's had so it's it's really exciting and you, you can definitely tell as you both talk 
A, how proud you are, but also your passion is absolutely there. So if anybody who's listening now wants to text in and ask Tara and Katie a question, please do, because, you know, we are a live show for that reason as well. Um, So, Tara, um, if I can ask you, what are the most common questions schools have about this specific programme? We get asked a lot about, is it suitable for use all through primary? Yeah. And the answer is yes. It's been a really big thing for Katie and I that when we designed the programme and when we then developed it further with Oxford University Press, that every lesson is suitable for any learner. Um, It doesn't matter if they are in reception or year one, where we might intend for them to be following a phonics programme, or if they're in key stage two and upper key stage two. We've been really, really specific about the language that we've embedded within the programme, not just in the way that we talk about phonics with the children, but um, the language that appears within our activity workbooks, the reading that the children do in each lesson, that it's suitable for any child and that no child would feel like they were doing something that was for a younger child, like participating in the phonics that's that's part of the programme. Um, and yeah, that's probably one of the biggest questions that we get asked. And, you know, we're really proud of it, that it that it is something that's suitable for all through primary. And, you know, I would argue that the beginning of secondary might be able to use it too as well if need be well yeah that, that I was going to ask that as well is it can it can it be developed and used in secondary schools because there's still a lot of students who arrive at a secondary school who aren't just not fluent readers but actually cannot read at all yeah I think so because a big part of what Katie and I've put down as one of the kind of key principles of things that happen in the program is that we teach vocabulary through our program so mm. um when we look at our mnemonics and rhymes that support our sounds, when we're teaching the EA spelling of E, we use heather in the meadow, um, which is giving children new vocabulary that they might not have. And then the stories and the text types we've written, every text type that you can possibly imagine. And the only one that we haven't got in there is newspaper. And that's because Katie and I just couldn't figure out how to fit it into the booklet. Um, (laughs) But we have covered absolutely everything. And we've tried to use the real vocabulary that children would see in books and in these text types. We haven't dumbed it down for them. We've taught them the vocabulary. We've taught them how to decode and read that vocabulary and then they'll see that. So the texts are, you know, they are mature. They're they're for all learners. Um, And it's something that has been really important for us. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, Katie, what other features have you thought about when developing ELS? So there was there was so many things that we thought about, but we wanted to make sure that this was a program that was so easy to follow. And we've spoken to lots of people about this um, in terms of wanting to make sure that it was only the most important information we were um, sharing with the children at the right point. And in developing that, we also spoken to lots of different experts. And it's it's interesting when you look at what we provide with essential lessons and sounds. There's a lot of content. There is a lot of um, thought processes have gone on behind the scenes that you won't necessarily see um, in some of the resources but we've tried to make this such a simple program to follow and that we're not overwhelming both children and staff with um, loads of information at one point or one go and we thought really carefully about um, that our illustrations and designs because like um, Tara was just saying we wanted to ensure that this is a program that could be used throughout the whole school and not just in early years in key stage one which very often phonics is only ever seen as being something that happens at that point um, and so we wanted to make sure this was a program that could be could be used throughout um, and so every part of this SSB has been thought about so carefully to ensure that we are reaching every single child. 
Amazing. Um, so somebody, um, Evie Allen, has just texted into the show and she says, and this is just so lovely to hear, I'm a teacher that uses ELS and was part of the pilot. I can honestly say this programme has changed the way I teach. I now, or sorry, I know I'm teaching consistently high quality lessons with the added bonus of not spending hours over planning. Last year, I got 97% pass rate. Um, you should put that in your advertising. That's That's a wonderful <laughs> review for you. You. isn't it just thank it's you incredible Evie. thank you um so the, the part there that she talks about i'm not spending hours over planning so how do you how do you um how do you plan for that in your program so if you've got anybody listening today who's who's interested in it who's thinking oh we need to you know approach our leadership team with this program um what can you just unpick that a little bit about what she said there about not spending hours over planning yeah absolutely um thank you so we have um well there's a couple of ways in which this comes together uh so we have four really simple lesson plans to follow these are you know based on those ones that katie was writing those uh that all that time ago when she started supporting schools so there's four really simple lesson structures for people to follow um but what you actually use every day is the interactive whiteboard resource that's on the Oxford Owl website. So there are mm -hmm. 360 whiteboards to teach from. All the words that we want the children to decode and read or the sentences, captions, phrases, they're all embedded within the whiteboard. All the words for you to use for your oral blending part of the lesson, they're all there for you. We have planned the content for every single lesson for every day of teaching for reception and year one. And as I say, you know, you can use it beyond that point of the program at least without, you know, beyond um, year one as well, if, if, you need, if you need to. We've also um, planned for interventions within the lesson as it's a whole class teaching model. Um, so the lesson itself, you deliver the content and then within the lesson, whilst most of the children go off and do those activity workbooks, which is where you find out all of the, um, which is where you find all of our texts that support the program that we've written. Uh, there is an in-lesson intervention for those children who struggle the most to acquire new phonic knowledge. And so the teacher gets to deliver an in-the-lesson intervention to those children whilst the majority of your children are going off to do their independent work. And again, all of that is planned for you as part of the mm. whiteboards that you use in the lesson. Um, so in terms of the content for the teacher at the front of the lesson, that's all there for you. There were only the flashcards that you need are our graphing flashcards, which there's, you know, they come in a pack. You buy them and they arrive. It's that, that complicated. Um, and the only thing that you need to kind of prepare for yourself are the harder to read and spell words, um, which is just a case of printing off the words that you, you need and we laminate them uh, so they last longer. And um, that's really all you need to prepare as a teacher to use the right graphing flashcard and to get the right um, harder to read and spell words that you need to support your children. Um, and then the activity workbooks are intrinsically linked to the teaching that's taken place in the lesson. And on some days they practice encoding, so writing and spelling. On other days they practice um, reading, decoding, reading for fluency, and then rereading for expression and intonation. And mm -hmm. we also um, use decodable books within our lessons. And um, there's a very lovely map that's been created that tells you exactly which title is decodable on each week of teaching. So there is absolutely no content, arguably, I, Katie, I know you'll agree with me, there is absolutely nothing that the teacher needs to bring in terms of providing anything for the lesson. They just need to 
pinpoint those graphemes that the children might need some extra practice on and those hard to read and spell words that they might want to add into their review part at the end. It, it really is that simple. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, we have put so much thought into it to ensure that everything has been provided. And so actually, as the teacher, you really get to focus on your own class and the delivery of that lesson. It's all there. So a lot of the the thinking process, although um, a lot of it's been taken away, of course, you get you know your class, you know exactly what your class needs. So when you're reviewing, you know what you're wanting to review. But in terms of the rest of the content, that's all there for you. And I know I've spoken to so many teachers particularly teachers that were following the original lesson sounds guidance, they were having to think of different activities every single day and then trying to explain them to the children every day. And that's when we were were wasting time. We weren't using that phonics time most effectively to get our children reading well quickly. And so we wanted to ensure that staff felt really confident um, to deliver those lessons. And that comes down to having that really consistent structure and resources. So actually for teachers, they just get to focus on the, the delivery of, of the lesson itself. And I think that's where um, we've had lots of positive feedback um, from teachers. And as you know, um, that comment there from Evie just a moment ago, um, saying that actually now she feels like it's had an impact also on her teaching. I think that's, you know, and it's changed so many things. I think that's so important. Mm. Actually, we're giving people the tools. Exactly. And if you, you give them the tools to actually focus on their delivery of yeah. being at, you know, teaching rather than the planning itself, that that's absolutely brilliant. And I think the, the, the testament of time with it is also your ECTs coming into the profession and, you know, how they can access and use it. And it sounds like it's an absolutely brilliant, easy thing to, to use as well. So um, we've also had the question, how does whole class phonics teaching work as they currently stream into groups? Does that make sense? Yes, that makes total sense. <laughs> this is a question that Katie and I get asked a lot at the moment. Oh, so. brilliant. There you go. Um, so we teach as a whole class teaching model. I hope that in that explanation, I, I did see that one pop up when I was talking about the in the lesson intervention that's for your children that are that find it hardest to acquire that phonic knowledge. Um, we have a full, well, we have a range of interventions that if needed, you can use outside of the classroom. And they last between three to five minutes. What some schools that have moved over to the programme who had been teaching in groups have done is um, they've obviously assessed to find out where all the children are. And then they are targeting those children with RGPC knowledge and blending for reading interventions that they're closing those gaps. Um, Some classes, you know, they're in year one, maybe they didn't get through phase four and they're using lots of oral blending to support those children and then practicing blending for reading in in, in the intervention time. Um, But there are lots of interventions that can be used to, there are lots of different ways the intervention, sorry, can be used to support those children in closing any gaps that there might be as you move towards a whole class teaching um, model. But you keep all those children in your lesson. And then if you need to close a you know an existing GPC gap you go and close that in that intervention outside of the lesson but these are designed to be very quick as I say they're three to five minutes long we have incredible success with them Um, one of our schools that was on the pilot uh, they had a child who was missing an education for four months and within three weeks of just attending his normal phonics lessons and having the interventions outside of the classroom he closed the gaps for four months worth of teaching that he'd missed. Wow that that that's really, absolutely really, brilliant yeah really effectively katie i don't know if you want to add anything no i think more i um just interestingly i had a conversation today with a school that had been had been streaming their children and they found that they just had so many different levels and and um 
lots of inconsistencies between their classes because they had children in all different places across the, the their phonics um, provision and also their teaching in general. And um, we were talking about actually the real benefits of whole class. It means all of your children are getting that um, phonics lesson being delivered by the most experienced person for them at that moment, their class teacher. We're not wasting any time from going from one room to another. We're using the time really effectively. But also, you know, as the class teacher, you know your children. You get to know them really well in that phonics lesson. Then you know how to use it outside of that phonics time across other areas of your curriculum. But also that you are, your children are moving at the same time. You're not having, you're not having some children um, staying in one area of the phonics provisional program and actually everyone's moving at the same time and then like Tara says if there are children that need to have any additional time to um, practice or to have that additional time just to reinforce what they've been taught in lesson there are these interventions that can support them but so many of our pilot schools actually said that they didn't really need the interventions too much the ones that were outside of the phonics time because the phonics lessons themselves were really high quality and that having that in the moment intervention was such a good use of time it was really successful Amazing. And that really, really nicely leads me into a question about um, helping fill the gaps, I suppose. Um, so one, one of the questions that I was wondering is, is there is there actually a bit more of a gap in the market for this this programme, considering what's just happened with COVID um, and the pandemic and the fact that we have missed, you know, four months of school? Um, you know, are you getting more of an uptake because of that and that there's a need to fill it? Or is there actually less of an uptake because of that? I think um, in terms of if we look at the school, well, the schools that were teaching ELS when we were in lockdown, um, they just carried on teaching using mm. the structures. So there are no gaps for those children. But certainly, I mean, if we look at the wider picture of primary as a whole, and then those children that have now gone into secondary, there are there are huge gaps where there wouldn't be anymore because you know those gaps might have been closed by almost like osmosis in being in the classroom for some of our children in years three and four, or they may have gotten through. Um, but now those gaps appear bigger. And so absolutely there needs to be, I think, moving away from the guidance for letter sounds and, you know, any SSP prov provides support for children who have gaps within their knowledge. But I think what Katie, I mean, the thing that for Katie and I is that in making it a program that's suitable for all learners, it, it makes it easy to target those gaps. Um, because I definitely think now that given the pandemic, given the lack of training for our ECTs who have been through, you know, getting kicked out of classrooms mm. and uh, having to complete assignments at home, not seeing the children so much. I think it's a really key part is that um, that they have access to tools like this and that children have, have, have a provision that's there and that's suitable for them throughout primary. Yeah, exactly. So I was just going to just add on to that. I think um, one, one thing we try to do with, with all of this, and we've said this quite a few times, we wanted to make this something that was really simple and easy to follow. And we already, like Tara said, we already know teachers have been out of the classroom quite a bit. And in us providing the phonics content and not making it complicated, making it something that can be followed really easily was so, so important to us um, because we wanted to ensure that teachers felt confident to to actually deliver the lessons and we also know um because of things like covid but just generally when you have staff absence when you have um someone covering your class you, you're never really sure what what's going to happen um but in um having all of this provided for for teachers 
the children know the expectation. They know what's coming, but what's on the interactive whiteboard resources, which are used every day, it tells the, the teacher, the person delivering that lesson exactly really what to do. Um, so we know they're still going to get their phonics session. So we've thought about, you know, hopefully everybody in mind from our experienced teachers to our teachers that have only been teaching phonics for a little while, ECTs, teachers that have moved from key stage two down to early years or down to key stage one, um, and also supply or cover teachers. We've tried to think about making sure this is something that can still be used every single day, regardless of situation. That's and and for home learning as well. So if yeah. if God forbid, brilliant, uh, that happens again. Um, that's that's definitely something uh, we need to think about now. So we just had, um, and I know I've got another question from Tom as well, and we'll do that one in a second. But we've just had a, a text in um, from a from a father who's not not a teacher. Nothing wrong with that. Um, and it says, "I love reading to my one year old son. Melts me a bit when he gets really engaged and reacts to the story. Um, he enjoys turning the pages for me. Um, I like." to think that it's getting him engaged in the stories and reading, are there any books you'd recommend for me to start introducing phonics at that very early age? It's a brilliant question. I love <laughs> this. I think this is wonderful. And it's so, so lovely to hear that you're enjoying reading aloud um, to, to your to your son and also that you're enjoying that, you know, that real magic that comes with reading aloud. Um, and continue that. Continue that for as long as you possibly can. Um, we always say it's so important for children to hear text being read aloud and you're the role model in that situation. So that's amazing. Um, to be honest with you, yes, you, you could introduce some books. But however, I would probably say just keep doing, and I'm sure Tara would agree, keep doing what you're doing reading aloud as much as possible looking at lots of different books um and then and actually enjoying that process when we're when we're listening to stories there we're in a special moment we don't really want to be stopping too much we don't really want to be questioning the text too much if we can help it just enjoying listening to the story is so so wonderful um but throughout the throughout your day you could be thinking about we, we use something called oral blending which is when you sound out words in, in its sound so for example you might say to your your child um can you please go and sit on the chair? So it's when we're breaking words up into um, its sounds. And it's such a key skill or blending needed for, for blending for reading, for when children are actually doing that independent reading themselves. Um, and it's always great to start that as early as possible. So um, I wouldn't maybe say you necessarily need phonics books at this point, because I think that would be something that hopefully when your child is um, in school, he will be using books that he can decode, he can read himself, but enjoy reading aloud and also, yeah some oral blending is always a wonderful thing to do and it and it's so nice he says thank you very much it's so nice to to know that we've got a listener who isn't just a teacher as well and and <laughs> wanting to find out about your program because it's not it's not just about teachers um it's you know it is about parents or it's about anybody that has interaction with with young children isn't it um so we've got a question here does ELS use pupil workbooks we have activity workbooks that are part of the teaching for the lesson. So the children, once they've had that main input from the teacher, whilst that in the lesson intervention is taking place, the majority of your class would go away and do their activity in their workbook. And this is targeted to the GPC that they've been taught that day. Um, they'll practice writing that grapheme. They'll practice writing any harder to read and spell words that you might have taught. And we call them harder to read and spell words rather than tricky words, because if you tell a child something's tricky, they think it might be difficult forever. Yeah. So it's just harder to read and spell now because you don't yet know the code, but you will learn the code. And when we've learned the code for those words, we make sure the children know that they now know that code. Um, and then children either read some words and match pictures or they read some captions and match picture. 
uh, they do some spelling and coding practice or on some days they have longer bits of text to read and that's where they practice that decoding reading for fluency and then reading with expression and intonation and I actually had a conversation with a reception teacher today um, and they're in their fifth week of teaching now and she said it's the first year that she's ever taught reception where she has no gaps from the ability in her class every single child is blending every single child is decoding and every single child is reading those captions um, in in the book that they've got so that was incredible to hear because she just said you know ordinarily I'd already have not a gaping chasm between my tops and my bottoms but mm. there'd be there'd be a you know I would know who those children were and they'd already be being targeted she said it's just not happening because they're just going and applying that knowledge and she's there and able to intervene and support that child when they are making that application independently. It sounds to me like you both managed to decode the actual system of phonics in itself. So <laughs> um, um, we've got a question. So what are the key challenges with teaching phonics? So what are the common pitfalls for a teacher? Uh, well, there can be quite a few, um, <laughs> mainly because the English language particularly is incredibly complex. Um, there's a lot of sounds and graphemes that the children have to master and just know Um and very often they don't always follow the same rule. So we have to actually teach children this. So it comes down to us having that subject knowledge and knowing how to actually teach children to read well um, in those early stages. And that comes down to also you know, everything we've spoken about today, which is having something that is really simple to follow, but has had a lot of thought process or have happened behind the scenes to make sure that does happen. And we've tried to do that at every single point that this is something that can be used by any um, any member of staff who has been trained within the program or potentially is in just for the day but it's somebody it's us we've given hopefully the tools to hopefully make this easy it should it, it, it we talk about this all the time it is incredibly complex it is really hard for children to read, but it shouldn't be it should be actually, you know, if we give if we give teachers the the confidence, the tools to be able to do this successfully, the children will do it successfully. Um, and so, there can be many pitfalls because of the fact that it's already really hard. But we've tried to make this as easy as possible from the very beginning. Um, and it has to be something that we teach. We have to teach it well. Our motto within ELS actually is that we give to the children. We give, give, give. We're teachers. We're not testers. And so often when I was in schools, um, I was seeing various practice going on, but I would see children being introduced to a new sound, for example. They'd be introduced to our new sound today, children, it's ch. And then the next question they'd be asked straight away, and these children would be in reception, they'd be asked, um, can we think of any words that have the ch sound in? And you get all these blank faces looking at you because they don't know. They're four. They don't know these words. We have to give them this information. We have to give them this knowledge so that then when they go off to do it independently, they can do it successfully. And I think that's one of the areas where we have had too many gaps, um, maybe in the past where we're not maybe giving the information as much as what we probably could be in that time. Um, you've just got, thank you so much, it's a wonderful answer. Um, we've just had another question saying, would we need to buy all new books as we have book banded books at the moment? It depends if you t if you tell us what books you've got. <laughs> um, but if they follow the original letters and sounds progression from the two thousand and seven guidance, you will be able to match them in you know in some way to the program. You may find that you've got a few gaps, but that's where um, your Oxford University Press consultant they have 
thought of everything. They showed Katie and I some very extensive spreadsheets the other day about people <laughs> who would say, right, I've got this gap. And then they just press a magic button and it tells you all the texts you need. Um, so they would be really able to help you if you do have any gaps in your progression yeah. to make sure that you've got that, that you've got those decodable texts to practice those new skills and practice the new graphemes that you've been teaching. Um, but yes, if they follow the original letters and sounds progression from 2007, you will be able to match them to our progression and still maintain using those texts. Or fading that, go and speak to your Oxford University Press rep and they can they can help you out with that as well. Yeah, and, and speak to your local English hub as well because mm-hmm. um, if you're eligible for funding, then they can support you in accessing and buying new texts as well. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, I've got one more question for you and then I think we're going to have to wrap wrap that up for today. But this, for the listeners that we've got live now, this is the first part of a, a double show. So you're going to come back on on the 2nd of November because actually we've had so much interaction from the live audience that I think I've only managed to ask about three of my questions as well. So this is good <laughs> news for our 2nd of November show. Um, so my last question for you is, and I think you, you've answered it a little bit as well, but it's a nice way to sum it up um what makes this scheme stand out in comparison to others great question um so many things i think for us what we try there's quite a few things one we try to make this um, a program that is accessible for all we've tried to we've thought about everything at every point so we thought about the simplicity we thought about making sure we're getting children to read well quickly we didn't want children to to move through the school not being able to read well quickly we wanted to give them that key that magic at the very very beginning um we wanted to make this something that was affordable both tara and i have both been um subject leads in our schools we know what budgets are like we have thought so carefully about how much this costs it should not cost thousands to learn to read and so we thought about making sure this is a program that ensures there is that fidelity as well as accountability but something that schools should be able to hopefully afford and like Tara said you know do speak to your English hub as well because they are there to support schools with this sort of thing funding for SSPs um so I think definitely the simplicity and the consistency that it comes that it has as well as um the fact that it's affordable (laughs) It's really affordable and it works. It works. I think also the vocabulary that we teach throughout the program and um, the, 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 the huge amount of work that Katie and I have done in the, in the background of making sure that we have reduced cognitive loads. So the amount of processing that a child needs to go through in every lesson to be able to engage with that content and be successful with what you're teaching them. That's another key thing, I think, for us is that we have made this as simple as possible, not just for a teacher to pick up and teach, but for a child to use to learn how to read, which is arguably the most difficult thing that we can teach them to do. Um, We have tried to make it as, as simple as possible for them in terms of the processing that we go through. And then obviously we've used incredible vocabulary throughout the program. We've introduced all of the text types to the children by the time they leave year one. I mean, so, so they're, they're fluent readers the by the end of yeah, <laughs> the end of year one. Um, so somebody else just texted in and said we we were lucky enough to pilot ELS. There's been phenomenal results. The consistency it has given our teaching of phonics has had a really huge impact. And I think that word consistency has come up quite a few times this evening with the feedback you're getting with the live listeners. So you know that I think for me that that stands out with your program too that you've created something that has given um, teachers a consistent consistency and that is so beneficial for students when they're trying to absorb this new language 
Absolutely. Um, I, I, yeah, it is. It is exactly about that. It's just it is about having this real consistent approach that we're all on the same page that we all want our children to read well quickly from the very beginning. And that's this is where this all started. We're trying to make sure there was this consistent approach to teaching to teaching reading um, because we know how important it is. And just go go on, carry on. Sorry. Ooh, I'd fin- I had finished, I think. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, I thought maybe it was us. Um, so I suppose that the last thing for me is, I think we unpicked it at the beginning, but why, why did you want to become primary school teachers at the very beginning? Because obviously this is a teacher's talk radio show. Um, we've all got our different strengths and we've all got our different passions and our interests. So what, what was... Why did you decide to train to be that primary school teacher to begin with? Um, so I think, I think, well, we mentioned at the beginning, um, Botar and I had slightly different journeys um, and ways into teaching. And for me, it started from when I was, um, well, for my, when I had a younger brother who I wanted to be able to support with his learning because um, he found it really difficult and I wanted to um, help people. And I remember when I was, um, on my first day, actually, as an NQT, uh, my, I was asked why, why am I here? Why do I want to be a teacher? And I said, I just want to help people. And that was my initial reaction. Um, And I think for me, it was about having impact and being able to be there for these children, be there for children from the very beginning and giving them something that then they can use hopefully for the rest of their lives. Amazing. Thank you. Um, I actually asked my mum earlier if she could remember (laughs) why I thought I wanted to become a teacher. Um, Because and she she suggested that I actually lied because she couldn't remember what I had said when I was younger. I actually started my degree my, when I did my initial undergrad. I started doing a teaching degree, and within a month, I stopped t- doing a teaching degree, and I actually just moved over and did a drama degree. And then, as I mentioned at the beginning, I kind of went into the world of fashion, and I uh, I planned catwalk shows for London Fashion Week, um, but I wasn't. I wasn't happy. I wasn't engaged. I didn't feel like I was doing anything with my life. Um, and then I kind of had that, oh God, I really did want to be a teacher. And I sort of had planned that I would do my PGC and I haven't done it. Anyway, so then when I went and worked in uh, primary school and I redid all of my A-levels to get onto a PGCE course. Um, so I, you know, I was at this point, I was really set that this was what I wanted to do. I just honestly remember sitting in that primary school reading with children outside of the classroom and just thinking that this to teach somebody to how to how to read you know to teach a child how to how to read and then to give and then to engage them in that was incredible but then it was other things as well it was that that you would spend so long you know and I was lucky because I did work with children before I then did my PGCE but you'd spend so long with some children acquiring a tiny little skill but once they got that skill you'd given that skill to them through supporting them in gaining that knowledge and that understanding. Um, and that was a feeling that I don't think I could, you could top that feeling of when that child finally cracks that thing that they found really difficult and you were part of that journey. And I think that's really probably what motivated me to, to really go for it at the beginning. And um, yeah, just that helping children to, to get the thing that they find difficult and acquire a new skill. 
Absolutely. And I think um, you know, coming up to a half term, I think teachers are tired at the moment. And it's just it's so rewarding and refreshing to hear so much passion from from two people that have been incredibly successful and still have a lot, a, a long career and a lot to offer um, students and children in, in our world of education. So thank you so much for coming on this evening. Um, and as I said, we this is a um, the first of a two-part show so we're going to be talking about it again on the 2nd of November okay thank you so much for having us that's all right you've both been absolutely brilliant thank you so much it's been great to share this evening so thank you brilliant and uh, we'll speak to you again on the 2nd of November thank you absolutely all right thank you bye-bye um, amazing it's so good to hear to hear people and to hear their passion and and that, for me, is what teaching is all about. It's about being passionate about something and go, going with it. Because as soon as you are passionate about something and really believe in something, um, you know, that reflects on the, on the students as well. And then you can create wonderful things like these phonics programmes that these two very talented young ladies have, have created. So thank you so much for coming on. And I really look forward to the 2nd of November as well. Um, now, we, we're going to do some adverts in a second and then we're going to speak to Wendy Orr and I think I wanted to get an, uh, a children's author on for the for the last part of the show because I think this is the point isn't it is we're teaching children to read through a wonderful phonics program all the way up um, into secondary education as well and it's to be able to access and read these texts so we're going to hear from Wendy Orr um, after these adverts and we're going to find out you know what the inspiration is behind books, you know, how how we can get into writing stories if that's what we want to do, and her opinion on children reading as well. So, um, Wendy, if you're listening now, if you can ring in, that would be absolutely brilliant. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Every teacher loves stationery, right? Imagine getting a selection of fun, beautiful and unique stationery items designed and selected especially for teachers delivered through your door every month. You need to check out teacherslovestationery.club. I'm always so excited when the box arrives. It's such a treat. My Teachers Love Stationery Club box is just a little treat to myself every month. 
It's always full of delightful and surprising items, including some really good quality stationery brands. And because you never know what you're going to get, it makes it even more fun and special when you get it. Visit teachersloveStationery.club and enter the code TTRADIO when you buy your first stationery box to save £2 today. TeachersloveStationery.club Excellent. Um, so on the line now, we have got Wendy. Good morning, Wendy. How are you? Good morning. I um, I haven't had any coffee yet. I've, and um, actually, I haven't even spoken yet. So I'm glad <laughs> that my voice is working, <laughs> even oh, without coffee. <laughs> we are absolutely honoured to have you on. So if, if you don't, if you don't know, we haven't got mad. Wendy is very kindly uh, ringing us from Australia at the moment. And it's 7am uh, over there, isn't it, Wendy? It is, which is the time to get up, but not necessarily to be coherent. Exactly. So um, I, I will I will help you become coherent in the next 20 minutes. Um, I, I honestly feel like it's the perfect second half to a show dedicated to phonics um, and the mission to get all young children to read. Um, to, because obviously to read your books, to be absorbed by the magic and the imagination. Um, so absolutely, who better to talk to than a real life children's author right now? Um, can you just introduce to the TT live listeners, because we've got quite a few live listeners um, this morning for you, this evening for us, um, a bit about your background, who you are, um, and just a few of the books that you've you've written and are out there. Well, uh, yes, so I'm, I'm Wendy Orr, and I'm a Canadian-Australian children's author. Mm -hmm. um, and... I mean, I was absolutely inspired by listening to the last 15 minutes uh, because reading is certainly, I guess not surprisingly, reading is a passion for me. And I had a very scattered um, uh, childhood, or not scattered childhood. We moved all the time. So I went to 11 schools. So I had, you know, lots and lots of different um, uh, teaching, reading school methods and learn to read in two different languages and um, in, so it was really inspiring to hear that passion about teaching reading and uh, and the way you tied it in with with my being here of bringing it back to teaching reading is to read books not exactly yeah. not to read phonics <laughs> the phonics are the tool and I now have four grandchildren, four and under. You may hear them. I'm actually at one of the houses now. <laughs> and, um, and so it's, you know, just reinvigorated all of that for me at a, at a more personal level again of wanting them to enjoy this, this journey. Um, yeah, so that's that's my personal bit. As far as my books, I've actually been a full-time writer now for 30 years, wow. um, which is not supposed to be possible in Australia, and I don't know how I just kind of lurch from <laughs> one bit of good news just when you think that all is lost. <laughs> it's a very precarious way to make a living. Um, but I've been lucky. One of my books, Nim's Island, was picked up for a, a Hollywood film with um, – Jodie Foster and Gerard Butler. Yes. And um, that, of course, was a, it was a tremendous boost of confidence and 
joy. It was such a fun experience. And I'm trying to think, I don't think any of my other books have really, all of my books that are published by Alan and Unwin in Australia are available in England. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't had many books that have been published in in the UK um, separately. Uh, Peeling the Onion, which was very, very popular around the world, actually, uh, was published as... Um, Oh, great, my mind's gone blank. <laughs> don't, don't worry, it's 7am it for title. you. You're doing really fine. It had a different title in the UK. Um, well, um, anyway, uh, so most of my books are, are middle grade fiction. And yeah. my last three books have been a bit different. They've been um, big fat verse, a combination of verse and prose novels set in the Aegean Bronze Age. Um, Dragonfly Song uh, was the first and it was quite well awarded, um, which is always nice. And um, and then Swallows Dance and Cuckoo's Flight is the latest. So they're they're so they're quite different in tone and subject than um, the Nims Island. <laughs> um, we've just had um, we've just got um, a live listener at the moment who said, "Well, there are thirty old um, thirty odd grade four six kids in Madrid currently reading Nim's Island for their primary book club." So, <laughs> so oh, that's, that's nice to hear, isn't it? In action. Um, so, what's what was the inspiration behind um, sort of Nim's Island? If we stick with that one, because it is such a wonderful. Um, well, it's, it's a world of imagination, isn't it? And it's an absolutely wonderful story to read um, a child. So what, what, what's the inspiration behind that book? Oh, well, thank you. Um, actually, it, it's quite an interesting story, I think, um, because when I was eight, we lived on the prairies in Canada and our grandparents lived um, out in um, Vancouver Island. And so we went to visit, we went on a ferry. I'd been reading Anne of Green Gables, so I was very kind of into orphans and um, with a bit limited knowledge probably of what that meant. But um, when we passed a little island, I thought I'd love to run away and live on an island all by myself. <laughs> and um, so then when we got back to to our home in Alberta, our house on the prairies, um, I started writing this story about a little girl who runs away from her orphanage and lives on an island. And she meets a little boy who's run away from his orphanage to live on an island. And so there's lots of bits from different books that I had read or been read. Um, the little girl's name was Joe from Little Women. Um <laughs> <laughs> there were bits of Swiss Another Family Robinson, book, yeah. all sorts of things. And I really loved writing that story. I worked on it for about a year and then, you know, my interest changed. And so they got adopted and got horses and I moved on. Um, but, you know, sort of, I don't know, 25 years later, I was uh, working, I was wanting to do a story around children a, a child writing to an author because one of my books had just one book of the year in Australia Art of mm. the Park and um, so I was getting a lot of letters 
And two children wrote to me one week and said, um, could you please write a story about me? Um, and I wrote back sort of kindly because I'm a nice person, you know, and said, well, I can't do that. You know, you could write a story about you, blah, blah, blah. And I just started thinking about it and, and playing with the, you know, the what if that is the key to writing any story. And well, what if the, the author kind of writes back, well, I write very important adventure books. You know, you're just a little girl. Um, but what if the little girl's life was actually much more interesting than the author's? And of course, everybody would have a different reason that that was true. But for me, it was immediately obvious. Well, obviously, because she lives on an island. And I started playing with this story and I thought of it originally as a, uh, an epistolary novel for eight-year-olds. I don't really know that that would work anyway, but um, they certainly didn't. And on about the 11th draft, I was really starting to despair and I really wanted to do this story. And then I just woke up one morning and I'd been thinking about not so much the story that I wrote when I was eight, Spring Island, but more the child who wrote that story. And, and I got up and I just wrote the first paragraph of exactly as it is now, in a palm tree, on an island, in the middle of the wide blue sea was a girl. And the story really worked after that. I'd finally got the tone and I got the heart. And, um, yeah, so it it went on with us, I think, from memory, very, very little editing after that, after kind of just not working for so long. It took about 18 months um, because I just, yeah, it took that long to find the tone. So that was <laughs> how it started. It, it sounds fascinating to be part of your brain. Um, so <laughs> do, do you get invited um, to to go into schools in Australia very much? Um, I do, not heaps and heaps. And part of that has just been personal because, um, well, I live out in the country. And at the time that my career was starting to take off, I actually broke my neck. And um, uh, I, I'm not a quadriplegic. I was lucky enough to recover, but I recovered with a lot of injuries and am not able to drive myself long distances. Uh, and at the time when I was being invited to everything all over the place, I wasn't actually able to leave the house much. So um, I, I've never sort of taken off as a school visiting author as so many of my peers have. But what's happening now <clears throat> excuse me, is doing more Zoom visits so I don't think, you know, we have to try and find silver linings in the pandemic, but if there are some, I think mm. that Zoom and the virtual virtual visiting has really just opened things up so much. You, you could come to the UK that way, can't you? Absolutely. It's only limited for time difference, which, of course, is often extreme. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And, I mean, in the States, they often um, do NIMS Island for a one-school, one-book program. And they 
where the whole community often reads the book. So the whole school, but often the whole school community and sometimes it's the whole school district. And they often have a big family night. And so, you know, I can, I can often pop in and say hello to their family night because that makes the, the times a bit easier. So that's, that's been really lovely. And I, I mean, I, I have, I have traveled, I have done, I mean, I've done probably several hundred schools with Nibs Island, um, in, including in, in India and um, Singapore, and uh, which has been kind of amazing. Yes, I bet it has. Yeah, well, it is, it is, it is a very good story. Um, so just a, a question for me. How important do you think it is to get young children and teenagers reading in today's, in today's world, so to speak? Oh, it, it is so important still. And I mean, like everybody else, I'm tempted onto screens and doing things on, on screen. Um, but reading is still the, the most effective way to enter another world, really. Mm. Um, I, I just think that it's so important to have that tool to be able to go in there, <coughs> oh, excuse me, um, just sort of whenever we want and do it on our own. And, and we know, I mean, all the studies on, on brain imaging of when we're reading about something and our brain thinks we're doing it. And of course we can come out of a, a cinema and, you know, sort of blink in the daylight because we thought it was nighttime and we can certainly catch our breath and everything watching things on screen, but being totally in it seems to be really a gift of reading. And it lets us, we can read the same things as our friends and discuss it, but we can also read things that nobody else likes and discover new things, which, you know, we can't do with, with screen, even with all the, the many, many things we can see on TV and Netflix and everything. It's still more limited. You know, there's just so many millions of books for everyone to dip into. And you don't have to finish them. So I, I think reading has just has a different power than seeing things on screen. And the quiet of a bedtime story with children at night and how that, you know, we hope leads on to, to calming themselves, to settling down with their own reading themselves to sleep. Um, I just think that that's so important still, and we mustn't lose sight of it just because there's so many exciting things to to do with screens. Absolutely. And it's and I, I think it's it's finding the right book as well for 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 students to become absorbed in. Oh, that is so important. And look, as an author, I I can't tell you the thrill that I have every time I get a letter that says your book got me into reading or your book was the was what started my child reading. And in fact, that's why Jodie Foster wanted to do the movie because um, it was the book that got her son into reading. 
Wow, that's um, that's that's a that's a real um, a real buzz to hear that, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is, but I still, as as a passion, I've never been a teacher, but just as a passionate advocate of reading, mm. I still also say, all right, you know, certainly my my verse novels are for children who are already keen readers. I don't, I think, um, I if. If you're not loving Nim's Island, well, you know, try something else. Of course, I hope everybody will love Nim's Island. But, <laughs> uh, you know, there will be a book that will start you. And I love the, the beautiful letters that children have been told to write by a teacher. Um, sometimes they're a bit overwhelming. But um, <laughs> <laughs> when it says, we had to read this book and I don't like reading and then I liked it. I go on the other thing. What I liked best was everything. And <laughs> so it was it was just so special because they start so blunt, I don't like reading. But it's it's just so lovely to hear because obviously we've we've been talking about how to how to help students and, and children enter or unlock their minds so they can read and then you're the product and we're hearing from the children's mouths themselves how wonderful it is that they can read and then they can read books like yours so it's just such an inspiring thing to hear when you when you when you open those letters from those children I know you must get absolutely thousands of them um but like that's the point of writing a children's book isn't it really isn't is to is to transport them to another world and that you know they can they can enjoy all your all your wonderful points of imagination. Yes, and and to go back to your your phonics, um, we need them to be able to read smoothly, or like to enter the world of reading smoothly, um, so that they don't get turned off before they ever find the book. Mm. that speaks to them and um, I think a lot of well-meaning people say if you read to your child they will learn to read and yes many will but a whole bunch won't uh, exactly yeah. did not learn to read smoothly there's a strong um, gene of dyslexia running through the family and my children were passionate story listeners, story hearers, but reading was really hard for them. And it was so discouraging for them too because they thought they would love reading. I think they expected to learn to read easily. And so we, I just feel really passionate about, I have no, you know, no knowledge about about how we learn to read, except <clears throat> through observation um, and and working. I did work with um, with special needs kids as an occupational therapist. But to me, the bit that I heard about what you're doing just makes so much sense, and not making it all into a a chore. And think of more words that sound with "ch." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, someone, someone's just texted in and said, um, absolutely agree with you with the power of language and words not detracting from some great films and plays out there. Anything can be created without restraint. My three-year-old daughter cannot read yet, but when she creates words and fantastical stories when she's pretending, which I have no doubt comes from the wonderful stories she's been read. I'm in awe that you have blown the minds of millions of children out there and many generations of children to come. There you go. That's that's um, oh. a nice a nice point made all about your story, Wendy. Oh, well, thank you. That is truly beautiful. I, I'm really <laughs> set up to start the day. Uh-huh. Um, I've got I've got one out there. Oh, is it? Oh dear. I've got one um, one more question for you, then unfortunately we're going to have to end the show. So um, as an author, what else do you think a parent, teacher or even just a, an adult out there can do to encourage reading to the, to the younger generation? I think one of the most important things that is rarely mentioned is modelling. Um, mm. So often, you know, sort of, okay, we've got to hear your reader. I'll read you a bedtime story because, you know, I know that's the thing to do. And it's almost like, okay, so you learn to read so you get through school. Then when you're a grown-up, you know, you don't ever have to do it again. So I think that certainly as a mother of toddlers, it can be difficult to find time to read at all, uh, <laughs> let alone when, when they're awake. But I think that showing children that you read, enjoying the books that you read with them, um, and, well, just having a few books in the house. I mean, you know, going to the library. So just, just showing books that reading is important in your life too. And certainly, yeah, as I say, enjoy the re- books that you read with them. And that, that goes such a long way. I mean, I think many of us who were lucky enough to have parents to read to, who read to us, you know, we'll have special memories of different ways that, that our parents read. Um, you know, my father used to sometimes read um, things in a little high, teeny voice, could, and he could read fairy language too, which, you know, he was quite a tall <laughs> man. And um, the fairies used to leave us letters, which only dad could read because he could read fairy language. And, uh, you know, why not? Um <clears throat> And so just really doing that, and this is probably a known teaching tool, but it was something that I hadn't heard of when my son brought up um, Treasure Island as his school reader, which was just way, way too hard for him. And his teacher wouldn't let him return it. He had to finish it. So we did team reading and I cheated a lot. Um, So I would, my paragraphs tended to be very long and his paragraphs were short. And what it meant was he got the enjoyment of the story and was then able to, you know, wade through the difficult words where I think he probably didn't get much out of the story and then catch up when I read another paragraph. And he, I thought he might, I honestly thought he might never read again when when I saw his despair trying to read this book. And it doing that, it turned out to be one of his favourite books. He still remembers it with affection. So, you know, if you get 
stuck in something like that, you know, just cheat a bit and get around it so there's some enjoyment in the end. Exactly. Um, Tom's just uh, just texted into the show saying, um, do you do audiobooks because your voice is amazing? Oh, how kind. I, I keep thinking that it's something that I would like to do of my own. And then, of course, because I'm a human, I listen to my voice and think, oh, God. <laughs> No, you've got a lovely, you've got, you got a very nice voice. Um, and uh, somebody else has texted in saying, oh, yes, I'd be very interested if you did audio books. Only so many times can you play row, row, row your boat on a long journey. My kids would be very big fans. <laughs> oh, well, there are audio books of a few of mine, but um, certainly of Nim. <clears throat> Excuse me, but um, you've inspired me. I'm... I'm when I'm through wrestling with the present one that I'm starting, in in the afternoons when I'm finished the creative work for the day, I'm going to do a bit more investigating. Wow, that <laughs> oh, that that would be wonderful if you could uh, if you could attribute that to the TT radio. That would be even better as well. And and look, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you sign up to my newsletter on my website, which is just wendyor.com, I will, <clears throat> I don't think I've ever managed to sort of automate this. I think I have to send it to you individually, but I will send you, um, we have a little, we did a video and I think a separate audio of my reading a picture book, The Princess and Her Panther. Yep. And the illustrator's husband is a composer and so it, it was really, I think it's quite beautifully done. Although one friend's four-year-old found it too scary. <coughs> but it's, um, I will, yeah, if you sign up to my newsletter, then I get your um, email. Amazing. And I, I will send it off to anyone. Absolutely. We <laughs> will definitely do that. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for the boost to the day. Well, no, thank you for thank you for coming on. I know 7am is quite a shock to the system. Well, it is, as I say, it's when I get up just, you know, I usually prefer to have coffee before my brain starts to function. But Oh, I do, yeah. Apart from forgetting the name of my own book. Um... That's fine. So so just just because obviously you're on the TT radio as well, what, what projects are you working on at the moment or are you not allowed to say? Um, well, I've actually had quite a long break since stopping my since finishing my last cuckoo's flight um uh it, it was quite a draining book uh, because it it dealt with acquired disability in minoan age times but it was, it was it's an adventure book but it um <clears throat> and i have just started one um and i think It'll be more, I think, it'll be more Nim's Island age and tone. Mm -hmm. But I, it's really dealing with the pandemic um, or with, the, with isolation. And so in, in quite an oblique way. But what I wanted to do was to look at the fear that children have of of venturing out in the world again. I mean, in the although I live in the country, I'm officially part of the city of Melbourne, and we've been under lockdown 
now for, I don't know, 300 days. Um, and it's, it's the, the mental health toll is, is horrendous. And so I just started looking at this in a very fanciful way. It's, um, you know, there's a little bit of magic. Although like Nim's Island, it's not so much, it's not high fantasy. It's a bit fantastical. Um, my, my first pitch to my publisher was Nim's Island with horses and then it got a bit deeper. Um, <coughs> I always think my books are going to be light and frivolous and then usually they aren't. <laughs> well, that's probably what makes them so good. <laughs> so, um, yes, and uh, I have several working titles, so I won't give you any. And it's not contracted yet, so I, it's just... It, it, it all sounds very intriguing. <laughs> well, again, th thank you so much for coming on. We've just had someone text in saying, uh, Tara, Katie, who were the guests on before, and Wendy, thanks so much. Really interesting and inspiring and a great show, Libby, my favourite so far. So that's all, all credit to the guests there. And thank you so much, Wendy. Oh, well, thank you, Libby. I suspect there may be some credit to the host <coughs> for pulling things together and inspiring people to, to answer so thank you. Oh, thanks. Thanks. And have a fantastic, fantastic day ahead of you. And I hope the sun comes out. I think it might. I'm sure it does more than it does in England right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but there is an 80% chance of rain, I hear. So. Okay, fair enough. Well, have a fantastic day. And you all sleep well. Okay, we will. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Wow, it's so it's so great to hear hear from well from from a, a famous author for one, but just just to hear the product of what we've been talking about as well. Um, so I've gone over by six minutes so far. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it all up. Um, thank you everybody for listening and for anybody that texted in a question. Um, it made the show flow really really well. Um, and. I, as I said, I didn't get through half the questions that I had planned for Tara and Katie. So when we get them back on on the 2nd of November, that'll be a really good show there too. Um, so next week's show, I've actually got CJ Van um, Nuremberg and Kate, um, sorry, Keith Watson on the show. And we're going to be discussing coaching, um, completely different to what we're talking about this evening. Um, recently, I've actually been asked to do a lot of coaching within a school. And I want to know everything there is about that um, and that I'm doing the right types of things, too. And obviously, there's a lot of it out there at the moment on the edu world. So that'll be my show for next week. Um, thank you again for listening. Um, please go off and have a wonderful evening. However, you are doing that on this Tuesday evening. For me, it'll definitely be bed. Um, so I will speak to you next week. Have a fantastic week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.